the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. By the time we get to Abraham, here in the book of Genesis, we start seeing some very clear illustrations of the hope and truth to come in Jesus Christ. One of those great illustrations can be found in the life of Melchizedek, who meets Abraham after he routs his enemies. That's where we'll pick up today. What is it that Melchizedek meets Abraham with? Well, that's where we start with today's study verse by verse. Here's Pastor Leighton Sheely with the amazing answer. Did you notice what Melchizedek brought out to greet Abram? Bread and wine. Does that sound familiar? Bread and wine are the elements of communion, sometimes called the Eucharist. And so the king of Salem, who was high priest of God Most High, had communion with Abraham. Abram. Melchizedek blessed Abram and delivered a sermon reminding Abram that the victory was his because of the blessing of God and the hand of God that delivered the enemy over to him. Abram then validated the Melchizedek's priesthood by his tithe, which was customary for priestly services. Now, we don't have any indication that Abram and Melchizedek had ever met before or if they would ever see each other again. Abram was not the citizen of any city. He certainly didn't need the protection of a king. No law of Moses had yet been written that required him to give a tithe to Melchizedek. Nevertheless, Abram gave a tithe of the recovered spoils. Now, actually, he didn't give these to Melchizedek. He gave the tithe to God through the the priest, of, the priest of God, Melchizedek. Because the Bible tells us the tithe belongs to the Lord. Here in this chapter, Genesis chapter 14, is the first mention of tithing in the Bible. And a tithe is to give God 10% of the increase, whether of money, farm produce, or animals. The word tithe actually means 10 And so when we tithe, we acknowledge that God owns everything and that we are merely stewards of what he has entrusted to us. Note that this practice of tithing predates the law of Moses. For not only did Abraham tithe, but so did Jacob. Malachi chapter 3 says that if we tithe, we will be blessed. And if we do not tithe, we will be cursed. And since tithing has such a profound effect on our relationship with God, it's important for us to know what the Bible says about it. Now, some people have been told that tithing is related to the law of Moses. And since we're under grace rather than the law, tithing doesn't apply to Christians. Well, question, does that argument square with Scripture? Remember that earlier in the sermon series, we learned about the law of first mention. 
The law or rule or principle of first mention is a guideline for studying scripture. It says to understand a particular word or doctrine, we need to find the first place that that word or doctrine is revealed in scripture and study that passage. And the reason is that the Bible's first mention of a concept is the foundation upon which that is later developed. The tithe was not introduced by Moses or the law. The first scriptural reference to the tithe is connected with Abraham, who lived about 400 years before Moses wrote the law. Now, the law may have clarified and codified the tithe, but the law did not initiate the tithe. And since tithing was not initiated by the law of Moses, it's not neutralized by the fact that Jesus has fulfilled the law and provided us grace that relieves us from punishment under the law. Tithing didn't come in with Moses, and it didn't go out when the law was fulfilled by Christ Jesus our Lord. Another question that people have regarding tithing is related uh, to the New Testament. You know, some of us have been told that that tithing is only mentioned in the Old Testament. It's really not a part of New Testament practice. But again, is that argument supported by Scripture? And the answer is found in Matthew 23, 23. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe, there's the word, For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So did Jesus address the matter of the tithe? Yes, he did. What do you have to say? He said, speaking of the tithes, these you ought to have done. Jesus never disavowed tithing. Rather, Jesus said, we ought to tithe. Jesus' condemnation of the scribes and Pharisees was not because they were tithing, but because they were neglecting the weightier matters of the law. And Jesus wants to know what they are. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. Nowhere in Scripture does Jesus ever tell his followers to disregard tithes, offerings, or taxes. Why? Because the tithe belongs to the Lord. Leviticus 27.30. Now in verse 21, Abram meets the other king. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the thong of a sandal. So that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me. To Anner, Ashkol, and Mamre. Let them have their share. Now, here lay another test. This was the test of success. There have been people who have passed the tests of adversity only to be stumbled by the test of success. Their behavior changes in order to take advantage of their fame. Their faith in God reverts to faith in self. And they begin to to listen to the voices of their fan club. And because of that, in their weakened state, they 
succumb to temptations they might have otherwise resisted. Now the king of Sodom said, thank you for rescuing my subjects. You can keep all the other stuff. And by custom, it would have been Abram's right to keep everything. And if he decided to keep everything, the army that he had just defeated was the army that had defeated the king of Sodom. So the king of Sodom was in a very weak position uh, to bargain. But Abram had already considered, and he said, I have sworn, literally I have raised my hand, and the gesture is that of a person making an oath, showing that he's appealing to God as a witness of the truth of what he says. And you know that practice continues even today in courtrooms. Even before he had heard the offer from the king of of Sodom, he'd already decided what he was going to do with the spoils of conquest. Now think about this. Behind him, there was a caravan that stretched out for miles. And the caravan had furniture and clothing and jewelry and pottery and weapons and precious metals from a dozen looted cities. There was more than just the five that were looted. And the wealth would have been absolutely staggering. With that much treasure, Abram could have either bought or built a walled city, settled down from his nomadic wandering and been in a safer, more permanent home. But he knew what he was giving up. And it wasn't wealth that attracted Abram's attention. He'd learned that lesson after failing the famine test. He would accept blessing from none other than God, whose relationship with him meant more than anything else. Abram wanted to leave no question in anyone's mind that he had been blessed by God and not some sleazy king from Sodom. And so in order to guard his own honor and preserve God's reputation, he accepted nothing for himself except reimbursement for expenses. And while he held that as his own personal conviction, he didn't force others to follow his example. He didn't impose his convictions on his allies, Anner, Ashkol, and Mamre. If they wanted to take part in the spoils of war, well, that was their business. His allies were men of the world, and their conduct was to a different standard. What took place here was incredible. He believed in God. He believed in God's word. He believed that God had promised that the land would go to his descendants. He believed that God was going to keep his promise. He knew that God was with him. He didn't have any descendants yet, so that couldn't be fulfilled, so he couldn't die. And if he did get captured, he knew that God was going to figure out some way of keeping his promise. Whereas in Egypt, a couple of chapters previous, he had fallen into distrust in God. Here he was living in profound trust. Now there's some deep spiritual lessons we can learn from this chapter. One of them is in how he responded to these two offers. Abram had to choose between two kings who represented two opposite ways of life. Barak, the king of Sodom, represented this world. And the world system with its appeal to the flesh. By the way, the name Barah, the king's name, means gift, suggesting that the world bargains for your allegiance. And the name Sodom, the name of the city, means burning. So be careful how you choose, because if you choose Barah, you will live 
for things that will someday be burned up. And that's what happened to Lot. And then there was Melchizedek, the king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who offered Abram bread and wine. Abram accepted Melchizedek's offer and rejected Barah's offer. Now, all of this is symbolic and represents spiritual truths that we should understand and apply today. When Abram rejected Barah and accepted Melchizedek, he was making a statement. Something like what you might hear today. In fact, there was a great hymn many years ago that had this sentence. Take the world, but give me Jesus. I don't want the world, but I want God. That's what he was saying. And that is what we should be saying as well. What a great illustration and a great look at a a heart that pants after the Lord in the life of Abraham. This has been Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely. We'd love for you to visit our website, highlands.us. That's highlands.us. And then come back and join us tomorrow as our studies in Genesis will continue here on Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.